welcome to Stories Worth Telling. I'm Rana Dietrich. There are stories worth telling, amazing and beautiful stories that deserve to be told. And here's why. If we would but hear them, remember them, resurrect them, we would find ourselves strangely stronger, braver, wiser, more tender, more and more ourselves. So that's what I do. I tell those stories, ones worth telling, ones that deserve to be told. Some of them you've probably heard before, maybe just not quite like this. Others you've probably never heard, and all of them will sound so profoundly familiar that you'll wonder if truly the story I'm telling is yours or at least the one you believe, deep in your bones, is the one you're meant to live. May it be so. Today's story worth telling is actually one I'd rather not tell. Well, that's not quite true. What I actually wish is that it didn't exist at all. It is so dark and so violent and so horrible that it's no wonder it's rarely told. And in not being told, the woman herself is not known. In the story not being told, her story is not known. And in the story not being told, the harm and violence that's done to her is perpetuated again and again because she remains unseen and unheard. And in her story not being told, the violence and harm, the unseeing and unhearing, is perpetuated upon us. And that's just not okay. So, I'm telling her story. A warning, though, I'll tell you this on the outset, you are not going to like it. This is not the stuff of bedtime stories, so be forewarned. The text itself resides in the book of Judges, which in and of itself is a difficult book to read. Her story shows up in chapters 19 and 20, and my paraphrased and condensed version goes something like this. In those days, Israel had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi who lived in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day, he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. For one reason or another, probably many, she became angry with him and returned to her home in Bethlehem. About four months passed, and the man set out to go back to her town and talk to her to persuade her to come back with him. He took with him a servant and a pair of donkeys, and when he arrived at her father's house, her father urged him to stay a while. And so he did. Three days of eating, drinking, and sleeping, and then on the fourth day he got up early, ready to leave, but the woman's father said, have something to eat before you go. So the two men sat down together and had something to eat and drink. Then the woman's father said, please stay another night and enjoy yourself. The man got up to leave, but the father kept urging him to stay, so he finally gave in and stayed the night. And this happened at least three more times. Finally, after like seven days of this, the man was determined to leave. He took the two donkeys and his concubine and headed in the direction of Jerusalem. Late that day, as they were getting closer to home, the man's servant said, let's stop in this town and spend the night here. 
No, the master said, we can't stay in this foreign town where there are no Israelites. Instead, we'll go on to a town that's much closer. The sun was setting as they came to Gibeah, a town in the land of Benjamin, and they stopped there to spend the night. They rested in the town square, but no one took them in for the night. A little bit later in the evening, an old man was coming home from his work in the fields, and when he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked where they were from and where they were going. And they explained and said that they had nowhere to stay. Oh, you're welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I'll give you anything you might need, but whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. So he took them home with him and fed the donkeys, and after they'd washed their feet, and they, then they ate and drank together. So while they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers, the text tells us, from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, bring out the man who's staying with you so we can have sex with him. I know. I told you it was a hard to hear story. The old man stepped outside and said, no, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing for this man is a guest in my house and this would be shameful. Instead... Take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you and you can abuse them and do whatever you like. But don't do such a shameful thing to this man. But they wouldn't listen to him. So the man himself, the guest, took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The men of the town abused her all night, taking turns raping her until morning. Finally, at dawn, they let her go. And at daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her owner was staying and collapsed at the doorway and lay there until it was light. When the man opened the door the next morning to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. Then when he got home, he took out a knife and cut her body into 12 pieces Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, Such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? This united the leaders and all the tribes of Israel. 400,000 warriors armed with swords took their positions. And then the man retold his story and said, Now then, all of you, the entire community of Israel, must decide here and now what should be done about this. And all the people rose to their feet in unison and declared, None of us will return home. No, not even one of us. Instead, this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will draw lots to decide who will attack it. One-tenth of the men from each tribe will be chosen to supply the warriors with food, and the rest of us will take revenge on Gibeah for this shameful thing they have done in Israel. So all the Israelites were completely united, and they gathered together to attack the town. Believe me, the story of the attack and the ongoing battles just keeps going, but this is where I want to stop. First, because we all just need to take a deep breath right now, don't we? It's excruciating, this story, for so many reasons. 
Let me list a few of the ones that I'm guessing are running through your mind. The first one is, uh, yeah, this is why I don't like the Bible. This is why I don't read these stories, because these are like ridiculous and crazy and violent. Uh-huh. Uh, number two, why did the guy have a concubine in the first place? Like a woman that he owned as property. That's not okay. Number three, even if we understand the cultural reality of the time, it's still not okay this felt right that he had to go back and get his property when she left him as though she just belonged to him, which of course she did. Number four, uh, the people in the town who are determined to rape the male guests, the man himself and his servant, that's messed up. Number five, the host offering up his virgin daughter and the concubine instead. What? Number six, Then there's the man himself who was visiting that pushes the concubine out the door. Number seven, she's raped all night and finally returns and he's mad at the people who did this to her. Are you kidding me? Number eight, he cuts her up into 12 pieces and sends her to each of the tribes of Israel. Seriously? And then number nine, this woman's unjust death, which is in large part his fault, becomes the rallying cry of the people, a justification for battle. God help us. Ugh. I've read the story many, many times, and I'm telling you, I don't like it any better this time through than I ever have. Every single one of these things that I'm imagining are going through your mind, um, go through mine. It, it is just insane, this story. Phyllis Tribble, who is a brilliant feminist theologian, actually works with this story in her classic book called Texts of Terror. And she begins her chapter on the concubine by saying this, the betrayal, rape, torture, murder, and dismemberment of an unnamed woman is a story we want to forget, but are commanded to speak. It depicts the horrors of male power, brutality, and triumphalism. excuse me, of female helplessness, abuse, and annihilation. To hear this story is to inhabit a world of unrelenting terror that refuses to let us pass by on the other side. And she ends the chapter with these words. We can recognize the contemporaneity of the story. Misogyny belongs to every age, including our own. Violence and vengeance are not just characteristics of a distant pre-Christian past. They infect the community of the elect to this day. Women as object is still captured, betrayed, raped, tortured, murdered, dismembered, and scattered. To take this to heart, this ancient story then, is to confess its present reality. The story is alive and all is not well. Indeed. So what are we to do with this story? How are we to make it one worth telling? How are we to understand its relevance in our lives today? These are all really good questions to be asking. But here's the one that compels me most of all. How might we recognize that the concubine herself is completely silent throughout the entire narrative and then realize that she deserves to be given voice. 
that we are the ones to honor her by using our own voice, by saying no to any such act in any form ever again? How might we be the ones to rally, to cry out against any violence against women of any kind? How might we be the ones to shine unwelcome light into the most scurrilous of corners in today's world, in our own culture, and in our day-to-day lives, and even, no, definitely in our presidential vote coming up in just weeks. The story of the concubine is definitely one worth telling, hearing, and responding to with conviction and strength. At a more personal level, Um, and trying to recognize the concubine not only as a character in an ancient story, but as a woman who has much that she wants to offer and say to us today. There are three things I want to explore. Three things that I believe she wants you to learn and hold on to in your own story so that hers is not in vain. Number one. You cannot be defeated or destroyed. Number two, wholeness defines you. Number three, know and believe yourself to be healed. Number one, you cannot be defeated or destroyed. As her daughter, her lineage, her kin, can you understand why she would want you to hear these words? Why it would be critically important to her that you not let yourself be defeated or destroyed in the smallest to the largest of ways? This is not to be your fate. This is not to be your story, she says. Listen to mine. Remember mine. And then hear me roar on your behalf. No, 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 she says, I will not allow it. I will not stand by and let anything even remotely close to what happened to me happen to you. I am here. I am powerful. I am your advocate. I will fight for you. Believe what I say. You cannot be defeated or destroyed. Even more, she says this again and again, because it is in believing her to be right, in believing that indeed we cannot and will not be defeated or destroyed, that she is put back together again, that her harm is redeemed, that her body is made whole, that she is seen and heard, honored and remembered, that she takes her rightful place in our matrilineal line She says, no matter what you do to me, no matter what you do to us, the power of women cannot be defeated or destroyed. Here we still are, generations upon generations of us, standing, fighting, saying no again and again and again. And she is right. You are living proof of this. And you have opportunity again and again and again to rise up as she could not to resist anything that would defeat or destroy you, to see her story, her very presence as the rallying cry you need to get up one more time, one more day, and yes, make one more vote, to say no more. It is true. She knows it 
And she imbues its truth into you, into me, into our daughters. We cannot be defeated or destroyed then, now, ever. Number two, wholeness defines you. The concubine understands better than anyone else what it is like to feel disjointed, disconnected, even coming apart, pulled apart. She knows that pain and sees it in you. She is aware of the ways in which your own life can leave you feeling torn and tossed at times, the way your inner world can leave you feeling dismantled and undone, the way the circumstances around you leave you feeling broken and bleeding, sometimes at your own doorstep. And though she stands with you in great sympathy and kindness, offering endless compassion and care, she says the same thing again, no. Wholeness defines you. Do not doubt this. Do not forget. Do not question. Do not succumb. You are whole. You are together. You are worthy of being whole and together. Wholeness is your birthright. Health and strength and life are yours to claim and sustain. Any and everything that binds you up, that keeps you intact, that enables you to rise and stand and walk and speak is who you are, is how you are destined to be. My daughter, my lineage, my kin. So, on days in which you feel less than whole, Remember her. More? Call on her. Ask for her strength, her blood in your veins, her determination and will in your mind and heart. Look yourself in the mirror and see her, hear her. You are whole. You are whole. You are whole. The third theme of the concubine's story, the message she wants to make sure that you never forget is this. Know and believe yourself to be healed. There is so much in our own personal stories that cause us to feel sick, less than, not quite up to par, not enough. Sometimes we limp through particular seasons of our lives, the toll and cost being more than we can bear but they do not define us. This is what she wants you to know. Yes, she says, it is true that things happen and realities exist and circumstances occur in which you do not feel healthy, in which everything has been sucked out of you that was ever strong and vibrant. And in those places, rest, be kind, find the compassion and grace you deserve, but do not believe that those things define you. No. You have been healed. You are healed. You will be yet again. This is your destiny. This is your truth. This is your truest, bravest, and most full of integrity way of being on the planet as a woman. Wounded, but healed. Broken, but healed. Nearly dead and gone, but healed. Harmed, but healed. Abused, but healed. Misunderstood, but healed. Unheard, but healed. Ignored, but healed. Heartbroken, but healed. This is who you are. My daughter, my lineage, my kin. Let me go back to where I started with all of this. It is understandable why this woman's story 
is not often told and rarely if ever known. Who wants to hear it? I get it. And isn't that the same thing that has happened throughout time? Hard, violent stories about women, individually and collectively, have not been told because we have been told and even believed that no one wants to hear it, that no one wants to hear us. And all of that is a lie. If we do not know and tell the story of the concubine, we are doomed to not tell our own. If we do not know and tell the story of the concubine, we are doomed to too many other similar stories continuing, but untold, unexposed, unseen for what they are, violent, unethical, incorrigible, impossible, horrific, and no longer allowed. If we do not know and tell the story of the concubine, the harm and violence done to her is perpetuated again and again because she is harmed and hurt yet again as she remains unseen and unheard. And if we do not know and tell the story of the concubine, that same violence and harm, that same unseeing and unhearing is perpetuated on us, on our friends, on our mothers, on our sisters, on our daughters, still ongoing. And that's just not okay. So, I'm telling her story. I'm not voting for Donald Trump. And I'm walking through my world excruciatingly aware that her story is hardly an anomaly. That she still lives and breathes and hopes and cries out to me, to all of us. And this is what she says. Hear her blessing on our behalf. My fate is not to be yours. When you feel disjointed, disconnected, or even slightly pulled apart, know that I fight on your behalf. You cannot be defeated nor destroyed. You are here to live your life in ever-restored and ever-redeemed ways. You are a woman of indefatigable wholeness, completion, connection, value, and worth. I know this to be true. I see this in you, and I'm right. So, when you feel anything other than put together, call out for me. I am swift to your side, holding you together, binding your wounds, catching your tears, and standing with you in unified solidarity and strength. And remember this, you have powerful stories yet to live. How do I know? You are my daughter, my lineage, my kin, undefeated, whole, and healed. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon with another story worth telling.